Hello and welcome to The Pantry Party. This is season two, episode number two. Um, we are your hosts, I'm Eliza and joining me is Bran. Um, and today we're going to have a bit of a chat about the internet, social media and how we use it, particularly in our profession. Bran, do you want to say hi? Hello. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like nobody really knows <laughs> that I'm here. Ghost Bran. Just lurking in the party. background. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, Following the, our last episode, I put up a poll on my Instagram of like how people consume podcasts and what they want from it. Um, and the feedback that we got was really good, really productive. And it was mostly that people want shorter episodes that are kind of conversational. And historically for us, conversation, yes, short episodes we're not so good at. So in the interest of time, what we're going to do is put all of our like less interesting stuff for people that don't know us, live chat what we're currently consuming and what's in season at the end um, so that if people care about us they can listen but you don't have to sit through half an hour of intro before we get to the topic so anywho we're here welcome to this episode yay Yay. (laughs) very good all right so um I guess I'll do an intro to what our little topical situation is for this week um, yes. So Lies actually sent me an article um, that was published in the Daily Mail, if I remember correctly, last last week, like a week and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a bit yeah. of a bit of an expose on um, how much health professionals that are qualified health professionals are being paid to be influencers on Instagram. And I use influencers as a very loose term. Um, essentially, mm-hmm. they're being paid money for posts. And the, uh, I guess the article sort of uh, rocked the boat a bit because people were actually having discussion around where where does the professional boundary lie in terms of um, like your regulatory code or like the, the ethical code that you abide by when you sign up to be a health professional. Um, both in just yeah. like a moral manner and also a legal manner. Um, and it's something that I, I mean, I, I think I've thought about it, but not as explicitly as this article has put it, if that makes sense. I don't know if you have thoughts around that, lies. Yeah, and I think um, just before we sort of get into things, I think a really key piece of this here is that we're not like, I don't think it, we need to name names and like talk about specific people because it's kind of like, what this article has done is just start a broader conversation. And I think some of the people that have been pulled into it, I think the accusations, well, not accusations, but the the conversation is fair, but at the same time, it's very biased. And so I would rather have a, like, a more level conversation about it without sort of, like, being like, this person's shit. (laughs) Um, Because I don't think that's very fair when they don't have, like, room to have a say. Um, but having said that, like, as part of this industry, we are entitled to having an opinion on these things. And it's something that you and I have talked about a lot historically, Mm. um, how we conduct ourselves on social media. And I I think especially in the, because you and I, and a lot of people in our sort of position are much smaller than a lot of, um, the people that are getting this attention. I think it's interesting seeing our perspective on it going forward I yeah I think it's like a it's a it's a topical conversation and I think it's worth us discussing and sort of like throwing in our two cents to how we we've sort of navigated these things as well yeah um 
I thought it'd be interesting as well for us to have a chat about the other end of the spectrum because you and I have been going off about this lately (laughs) Um, is people particularly doing the opposite so influencers sharing medical advice basically yeah and I guess that's a good point and so it's like um yeah yeah, like you're saying the other side of the coin yeah um yeah there's a lot there's a lot going on in that space and we've known for a long time that there's a lot of uh influencers isn't my favorite word I prefer to use the term content creators some people are influencers and that's that's their role and that's great but some people do put lots of work into their content and it's not as easy as just Mm -hmm. flicking up an Instagram post for them um but at the same time there's this really fine line of when people start talking about when they've seen specialists and what their specialist has told them about their condition and what they should do for it and when they publicize that to an audience that can be quite vulnerable to medical advice without even knowing about it um and not knowing the nuances and not knowing that it's personalized um and I think there's a very strong argument and I, I, we will link these below in the show notes, but one of the people that's mentioned in the article, and I am going to name names because she did a really great response to the article, um, mm-hmm. is Dr. Megan Rossi. So she's an Australian uh, dietitian who's now working in the UK um, and she's done mm-hmm. great things. And she is one of the people that, like I said, has been picked up and sort of clumped into this group of medical influencers I guess that's I'm coining that term that's a thing um but she mentions that in her response on Facebook that there there is a need for health professionals to be on social media to counteract the bullshit that comes out from people who don't know what they're doing yeah and I think she makes a really valid point is that even though that they may be paid for posts or they might be sponsored posts and yes, they should declare that. And yes, that should be at the forefront of their, of their mind when they're thinking about doing this mm-hmm. work. We are not going, I hate putting this as a battle, but health professionals are not going to win the health battle by avoiding social media altogether. And we're not going to, not going to make any progress if all of our regulatory bodies just bury their head in the sand about it. So I guess what we're saying is that there's sort of two sides of this coin is that there's the people who are qualified medical professionals who are talking about these things online and posting advice and potentially being paid by brands or companies to promote their products. And then there's also people who have a, like their audience has a trust in them to provide them with products that they might be interested in, who are talking about personalized medical advice for themselves. Mm. Um, without the context of a specialist weighing in on that. So I guess, um, should we start with, I guess, unpacking the, the conversation brought up by the, by the Daily Mail article and the, and the professionals online? Mm. Um, and then we can sort of talk a little bit more about the content creator sort of people yes. sharing these things. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. Um, cool. So, I mean, in terms of my response, and I think, I think the best way to have this conversation is almost having it like a pre-reading thing. So I'll leave notes down below about where you can access the article. Yeah, we can link the article. And we are, black and white, just going to assume that you've read it um, or have heard about it at least to be able to understand what we're conversing about, I guess. I think that's the only way that we can do this effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a big fan of the grey area. I'm a fence sitter. I, <laughs> I might lean to one side <laughs> of the fence more than the other, but... Um, for the most part, I'm happy to delve into both sides. Um, I think that the article was written 
in a very sensationalist manner. I think it it was mm-hmm. written to evoke a reaction, um, which is exactly what it's done by a lot of for a lot of people. Um, and yeah. I think it painted health professionals as when they're being on social media abusing their position of power and trying to yeah. make that lucrative for them and manipulating yeah. the general public, which I think is a is a lie. <laughs> Would you agree? <laughs> Yeah, and I think it's interesting because they sort of in this article made a distinction between, or they didn't really make a distinction, which I think is problematic, between people who are being paid by, like, for example, you know, basically whether they're sharing medical advice or whether they're promoting a product that's not related to their profession. Mm. And I think that's something that this article really failed to do in that it doesn't make that distinction between professional qualified advice whether or not they're being paid for it and them just like selling a product so I think like and this isn't really something that I've come across very much because I'm not really in this space but I'm assuming that there's a lot of um you know qualified health professionals especially the smaller accounts that were sort of like people who are trying to grow their following that get approached by you know nutrition supplement companies and and things that aren't necessarily what an actual dietitian or nutrition professional would um be comfortable selling Mm. um but because the money's very appealing and as we know the job market (laughs) is trash um (laughs) i can understand why people would buy into that however where it becomes a problem is when these people have a really big following and they're sort of like selling these things as gospel Mm -hmm. And they're not evidence-based. They're not necessarily like what they would actually recommend. And also it's a really generalized recommendation that they're making for the public. Like it's not personalized medical advice, which is what we're trying to promote basically. So I guess a point of question for me and I, and for anybody who is listening to this, please message us if we're just being super ignorant or you have opinions that counteract us, or even if you agree, would love to love to hear from you. Um, there's one person that was mentioned in this article that I love. I think they have great recipes. I think that they use food really well and don't. I don't find their messaging pushy at all. But in terms of being a health professional and associating with being sponsored with food, what do you think about that, Lies? Like, you mentioned that they might... It's obviously generalised advice, but say they're using it in a recipe versus touting its health benefits yeah I think no I think that differentiates again even further in that like we I think people assume that dietitians and nutrition professionals in particular so like not necessarily like the doctor people but Mm. people who are trained in nutrition they expect from us nutrition advice they don't expect us to be talking about a food without the context of nutrition but I guess as the non-diet industry has grown and as we kind of like have almost detached nutrition from the value of food and cooking a little bit within our industry, that distinction has become a little bit clearer. And so I actually think that nutrition professionals talking about food in the context of a recipe is okay. Mm. Um, I understand how it can be misleading, but I think if they're not talking about it in relation to like, you must go and buy this and eat this because it'll do X, Y, Z for your health. Mm. I actually think that's all right because it's kind of presenting it's giving the option for like, here's a, an ingredient 
that they obviously care about their like this brand cares about their image being promoted to my audience mm. because they know I'm a trusted nutrition professional it's on the it's on the person creating the post to decide whether or not that aligns with their values but I think if they're saying if they're just promoting it in a t- in the terms of like here's a great way to use this food that's yeah. okay and I think that's what was missing from this article is that yeah. there are people who are creating this content who have to they they think about these things they do think about they're not yeah. just picking up a product or getting sold a product to be like yep it's going to give me $10,000 I'm going to put it up there a lot of the people who are in the health space will think about that will think you know is this actually ethically viable am I going to be able to support this with evidence is this actually going to do x y and z Mm. or can i you know make this a bit more of a generalistic recommendation in terms of texture and sense the sensory aspects of food and how much it can add to food in ways that aren't health people do think about that i don't think there's many health professionals out there that would just be like oh yep i'm gonna sell this for no reason though Mm. in saying that this article did mention something that I kind of forgot about until I reread my notes. And it was that somebody who was not a dermatologist was um, advertising a shampoo brand, which Mm. that makes me quite angry. Yeah, so that's where the waters get a bit murky. Yeah, because I feel like you and I have been taught to respect your boundaries as a health practitioner I would never give anyone skin advice in a consult like and or at any time like everyone's skin needs a different but like this person was happy to promote a shampoo that that they were not a dermatologist and they shouldn't have been promoting it like that's I see why that's a problem yeah and I think that is one of the main issues with this is that people are stepping outside their scope of practice and that in itself is super problematic because like Another example um, is the whole the meat discussion, which Mm. is kind of like the big sort of focus of this article. Um, And I think, I mean, I can understand why the people who um, not bought in but went along with this campaign, why they did it. And I understand that, you know, having like if you're being paid to do something, sure, go for it, do what you want. But I think we do need to think about the responsibility of the recommendations that we're making as well, particularly when it's outside of our scope of practice. Mm. Because what that does is say to your consumer that you are qualified or not qualified, but you're recommending these things. And if they're already a trustworthy source, that's going to be very confusing as to like who you should be getting your advice from whether these claims are actually true and whether these things are actually going to be viable in terms of promoting health. Mm. Um, and I think really messy in that sort of like, like, yes, all health professionals are qualified to have an opinion on health. Like that's what we are. That's what we do. But when it comes it's into a specific, of health. yeah, into a specific scope of health. So like with the shampoo or like talking about the nutrients that are in meat, I think that becomes a bit problematic because it's like, I thought you were this professional. Why are you talking about this other scope? And I yeah. think with when it comes to nutrition in particular, this is really problematic because it's it's that really reductionist view of health in that like, yes. you know, this food contains this nutrient, therefore it will fix X, Y, Z. And I think that's really, really damaging because 
it kind of reinforces the whole like diet culture way that we think about foods in when in actual fact like it's great if you eat these foods and it's great if you do have those nutrients and there might be some benefit for certain people from eating more of these foods but by making a blanket statement to the general population it kind of like it's sensationalist like a hundred percent like yeah problematic because it kind of promotes that that simplified version of nutrition that isn't what happens and that was there was a really good quote um I think towards the end of the article by Dr. McCartney, no idea who that is, but they were obviously interviewed for the piece. And they said the reason why medicine doesn't work alongside commercial gain is because it's very easy to oversell things in the realm of health. And I think mm-hmm. having the world shift towards food as being the cure for every bloody issue on this planet, um, I think that quote, fits really well in line with that because like you're saying a lot of people are isolating nutrients and reducing food to its nutrients as opposed to Mm. any you know any other aspect of it social cultural whatever that people are suddenly thinking that x plus y equals z when it comes to food and that is not the case that is we all know that's not the case that's not it's not just about what foods you eating like it's not about you eat food not nutrients is what I'm trying to say I guess yeah exactly and I guess it it really reinforces that food as medicine rhetoric Mm -hmm. which I think is again problematic for a number of reasons and I don't think we've really talked about this but maybe that's a topic for another time but basically that conversation is something that a lot of nutrition professionals are really trying to move away from. And I know a lot of are sort of reinforcing it and talking about it in that way. Um, But I think the key that's missing from that conversation is that food is not medicine. Medicine Mm. is medicine. Like if you have a health problem, food is not going to cure your health by just eating more of one food. And I think um, that sort of dialogue becomes really damaging to the public because it kind of goes, oh, Basically, I mean, this this meat campaign was talking about basically the, the takeaway message is meat will cure your depression, which I think given the current climate is a super problematic statement to make. And if people are believing that and they're depressed and go and eat more meat instead of getting adequate treatment, mm-hmm. particularly when that advice is coming from a health professional, it's just like it's not going to help people and it's, it's actually going to be doing more damage than good and I think that's where we sort of run into the really sticky stuff messy sort of situations because at its you know on face value all it's doing is confusing consumers like it's not it's not helping people and there's no Um, coherent message which is I think part of the problem is exactly people and I've I understand this from the research that I've done for the past year as well is that people are given so many different messages by so many different health professionals you add social media mm-hmm. into the mix and for my project at the moment, you've got a mum who's got a crying baby the whole day and they're awake at 2am trying to get their baby to settle and they've just fallen asleep and your mum's going to go on the phone and try and find information about how to help their baby, right? Like, they're not going to get yeah. an evidence-based opinion and that's just one example. It goes exactly the same with food. Of course, you're going to Google what <laughs> what nutrients are in food and how that's going to help X, Y and Z. Um, yeah but I guess particularly at the end of the day like as non-diet health professionals or mm. you know the sort of space that we're operating within 
one of the sort of focuses of it is drawing away from that kind of like food as medicine rhetoric or like this diet is best for you and into empowering the individual to make decisions based on their own needs. And I think what's happened with a lot of these things is that it's just like adding noise to the conversation without actually having any solid yeah. direction of, of like answers for the, for the public. And so I think it just, it's not very productive, but at the same time, like it's just not, it's not helpful. No. <laughs> and that's why I wouldn't personally, if I was approached by a company, I wouldn't like agree to do it if they were wanting to make nutrition based claims about their product. Yeah. Um, because I don't think any nutrition advice on that level is, is very responsible I just kind of see it exactly the same way as, and I'm not demonising the food industry in any way, shape or form, but to me it's the same as getting a nutrition professional on a TV ad. Like, I don't, I don't know if everyone does, but I definitely don't see any value in that. Firstly, I don't watch a lot of ads anymore. Pretty useless, which is why they've sort of infiltrated the social media market. But it's, uh, it's very easy for me to say that because I'm, an educated health professional who's aware of these these circumstances and these issues that can arise but it's for the general consumer that these things become an issue it's for the people who aren't educated and it then and this is a whole different situation but it then becomes a health equals privilege thing mm -hmm. because people who aren't privileged won't be able to read into those like whatever it is about the ads that they're I don't know, seeing on their Instagram or YouTube or whatever. Yeah. You need a certain level of like health literacy or whatever it is to understand exactly. what's going on. Um, and it becomes really difficult to navigate when you are given so many different conflicting opinions from qualified health professionals uh, on top of all of the stuff from like, you know, celebrities marketing their weight loss products or whatever it is as well. So it's, it just adds more noise to the conversation without actually being very um, useful at all, I don't think. Um, and again, like, I, I just want to caveat that by saying, like, I'm not trying to, like, put blame on the health professionals because I understand why they do choose to do these things. I just think that there needs to be more responsibility taken by the health professionals and by the products that they're being sponsored by. Um to have like a, a reasonable sort of responsibility for it. On that train of thought, what, how do you think regulatory bodies should deal with this? Um, I think, I find it interesting because here, and I'm not sure, I'm not super up to speed with um, HCPC, which is the um, UK's basically equivalent of, Medicare for registering health professionals and I'm not super clued up on their regulatory guidelines in terms of social media and like monitoring of that mm. but I know like for example the code that we sort of adhere to as Australian dietitians with the DAA you kind of like it's kind of a given that you don't post testimonials you don't talk about like you know it's you have to have a responsibility on any social like or public platform yeah. um, but I'm not sure how these bodies can really regulate it because I think at a certain level health professionals mm. and as you were saying before like nutrition professionals medical professionals whatever we whoever mm. it is really important they have a voice in that public space because if we don't speak up 
the people who will take over that conversation are the weight loss influencers and celebrities who are selling all of their diet products. And exactly. that's what, like, that's the way worse option. Um, like, I'd much rather have people who are actually qualified to give advice, you know, talking about these things than, than people who have no qualification at all um, and are basically just in it to make money. I'm going to throw another curveball question at you. I feel like I'm grilling mm. you. I promise I'm not. Yeah. Um, so take away the big medical landscape of Instagram, Twitter, whatever it is, and just look at dietitians. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I mean this with the best, the best intentions, but how do you expect the entire medical profession to get their shit together on something when dietitians themselves, for example, can't agree as to whether weight loss is a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And there's so like, much that's conflict. that's a very reductionist point of view. Yeah. Um, and I think it's interesting because obviously that's such a, I mean, underpinning conversation in, in our work that we do, but also yeah. kind of speaks to the broader society that we live in in that in that weight like striving for weight loss is just not so normalized that we don't even realize it um yeah and I guess all we can really do as weight inclusive practitioners is advocate but I think at the same time like as long as you're presenting your argument based on evidence and and reasonably and understandably so that the consumer can understand at the end of the day it's their decision as to who to trust and so I don't think that we actually need to have one unified voice for the voice of dietitians or health professionals or whatever it is. I think that we just need to have the the arguments clearly presented so that the person who it actually affects and impacts can make a decision. Yeah, that's a, I think that's a really good response because it takes back into account that it's not a one-size-fits-all. It's that, it's that everything's personalised. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. You passed my test. And I think, like... Yeah, thanks. And I think like the the key here is that like it's something that I've seen quite often recently is that non-diet health professionals are not against people who want to lose weight. Like if you mm. want to lose weight and you know the risks of it and the the things that it, you know, the futility of it and all the the sort of stats and stuff, go for it. I don't care. Yeah. Like that's your decision to make. But it's my job as a health professional to give you the information on both sides of the argument so that you can make an informed decision regarding your health. It's not my, it's not me to say like, oh no, don't lose weight, like blah, 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 blah. That's probably more dangerous. Because that takes away the power from the individual. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think, but what we can do is sort of like discuss weight science and talk about the risks and benefits of weight loss and behavior change and other things that we can do to promote health. Because a lot of people don't even know that like not aiming for weight loss is an option. Like they just, that's all they've been given. Mm. And so that's a big focus of what I do is try and educate people, particularly like one-on-one in in clinic as to like other things that they could be doing to promote health outside of just trying to lose a couple of kilos. So yeah, I think it's sort of, as you were saying before, like, it's fine to sit on the fence. Um, but I guess the point is that we're trying to help people make an informed decision so that they're empowered to take control of their own health and their own kind of management and treatment in a way that suits them. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great response. Yeah. 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 Hope that gives people some, some, some things to think about, I guess, in terms of (laughs) 
the struggles of being a millennial health professional. Yeah. And I think it is difficult because, you know, you can see, like, you and I have had this conversation a lot about sort of, like, the space on Instagram and on the internet and stuff Mm. because we've grown up around a culture of content creators and of YouTube coming up really quickly. Mm. Um, And I think it's, it's difficult to approach as a, as a young clinician, like it's really easy to sort of like be dragged into that and buy into it because it's really appealing to have that like fame and, and that um, the lifestyle and the money that comes with it because Obviously, with the job market being what it is, it's really hard to yeah. kind of get your feet anyway. Um, but yeah, I'm interested to hear more about sort of your opinions on your approach with social media and how like <laughs> what you think the right way to do it is. Because I think like it's something that you and I have talked about a lot mm. um, and have constantly grappled with because it's one of those things that's like you want to be trustworthy but you also want to be evidence-based but you also don't want to just be talking about nutrition because that's boring. Yeah, God, I... Yeah, we've had a lot of discussions about this. I, For those who don't know, (laughs) I have an Instagram account and a blog called A Rebranded Life. Um, It's funny because it's got my name in it and it's a pun. Um, I... I have struggled for a really long time trying to figure out what I want to do with it. Um, and I started off as like quite lifestyle-y and quite bloggy, lifestyle bloggy, um, talking about style bits and music favourites and life updates and all sorts like that. But I wanted – the aim was to use it to help my nutrition career. That was part of the point of it. But the more that I delved into it and the more that I was on Instagram, the more I began to hate, not hate, began to really dislike seeing nutrition information on my Instagram account. Like it, there's the saying that's like, you'd only, you only produce things that you want to consume, right? On terms of content and the things that I love and the things that I, I search out for on Pinterest, Insta, YouTube, whatever it is. Um, is style and decor and not always beauty stuff, but a lot of like more lifestyle stuff that isn't food because my entire life is not food. I'm a nutrition professional, yes, but there's so many other facets to my life that I find inspiring that I don't want my one online profile to be the non-diet practitioner and that's all I am. Um... Because I think if there's any sub-facet, is that even a word? Any facet of the non-diet paradigm, it's that you take yourself away from food entirely. That you kind of go, you know what, food isn't everything. That's kind of the whole contradiction of it, is that your whole life isn't centred around food. Because that's unhealthy in itself, is you don't want your entire life to be centred around one thing. Um... And I have a passion for food and I'm really loving cooking and baking at the moment and that's a part of my life, um, hugely, but it's not the one thing that inspires me all the time. I don't wake up and go, oh my God, like, what am I going to cook today? Can Otto Lenghi inspire me? Like, that's not, that's not the way that I live my life. Um, 
and I really want to turn a rebranded life into a more style, for want of a better word, because it's 10.30 at night, um, but like an aesthetic-y kind of vlog, like looking at different colour palettes and taking like interesting shots with my camera, which I feel like I don't get to experiment with anymore because I'm always taking photos of food. Um, and Liza and I have had several existential crises over these. I have not posted on Instagram in terms of an actual post um, on my blog account for well over probably a month and a half because I just don't know what to post on it. Mm. I don't know how to caption it and I don't know what direction I want it to go in. Yeah, and I think, like, a really key piece to that conversation as well is that, like, as much as we'd like to think it would be a part of our career the sort of like blogging social content creation that's not profitable and so mm. if we're treating it as a job and not getting paid for it it's really fucking exhausting and you're going to get burnt out super quickly which is i think a big barrier to a lot of people sharing their voice and their ideas because like the people who are paid to do these things as we've just as we've just explored are making like they're raking it in yeah. um but the people who are kind of trying to navigate this in a more compassionate and inclusive way tend to be left out of the conversation because they don't have a clear sort of voice um, and brand that they're sort of like selling, um, which I actually don't think is a problem. I don't think it's, I don't think we need as health professionals to have a brand. Mm. Um, or if we do, I think it needs to include the other aspects of our life to, to role model a healthy relationship with food, which is what we're trying to promote. Mm. Um, and the other, so that's, yeah, it's, sorry, the other side of that no, go is on. that even now as I'm sort of heading towards a private practice route, I'm personally very confused as a practitioner about what I should be saying and what I should be doing in terms of like how my yeah, social like what's media presence, yeah, and how that lines up with how I'm practicing. So in the non-diet space, for example, I think mm -hmm. I was very disillusioned for a really long time thinking if anyone came in wanting to lose weight, I'd have to turn them away at the door and be like, no, that's just not what I'm about. When that's possibly yeah. the worst thing that I could do. And it took me a long time to figure that out, like longer than I'd, I'd like to admit to be like, you know what? It's okay if they want to lose weight again, body autonomy. That's what, that's what the patient wants to do. Let them do it. But yeah. once you have this kind of presence on social media it's very hard to shift from that and very hard to try and identify as any other way and say you say you were 99% non-diet you know non-weight centric and then one person came in and you helped them lose weight and that got out I think you'd feel like you were you were lying to your presence online if that makes sense like you'd feel like it was almost a dirty mm. secret yeah but I think as well like at the core of this discussion is that as health professionals working clinically one-on-one -on -one with clients, what we do is one-on-one -on -one work. Like exactly. we're there in that room to help that person, whatever their goals are. But I think just piggybacking on what you were just saying then about if you had helped lose someone, help someone lose weight, I as a clinician would still not help someone lose weight. Like if someone walked through my door and said, I want to lose weight, can you help me? I would say, no, I can't because I don't have an effective way to help you lose weight and I think presenting them with all of the other options and having a, a realistic conversation with them around how they can promote their health and support their values without that um, in mm. a more sustainable way is the sort of crux of the health at every size mm. approach um, 
because I think that's just part of the thing, like one of the things we have to navigate as clinicians. But like, I think there's just as big a sort of like, you know, scary sort of um, idea with that is that that one person who comes to you and you tell them, oh, no, I can't help you with that. I'm sorry. They're then going to go and like, you know, talk shit about you yeah. saying that you wouldn't help them and all of that. And I think it's part of our credibility as practitioners to p- present a like, first of all, it, it has to come down to the way that we market ourselves and we have, we have to be clear about what our services are and what our specialties mm. are because, you know, we need to be able to, for our consumers to know what to expect from us from the get go. Um, but yeah, I think it is tricky to navigate and I think like we need to be careful about the way that we present these things. Um, but I think as well, just sort of like taking a bit of a sidestep here is that as health at every size clinicians, we obviously would talk about health at every size and, and the, that paradigm and the non-diet approach and everything. But something that I've sort of been grappling with recently is that yes, I can talk about those things and yes, I have opinions on them and yes, I've got ideas, but a lot of my ideas aren't very original because they've come from my reading and research and my learning, which a lot of people are a lot further and and a lot more like well-versed in that dialogue. Mm. And so rather than trying to create a lot of my own content, I'm sort of coming to the realisation that there are people out there that are doing that really well and the way that social media is now, we can share those things and we can talk about them without having to like... Create them ourselves. Repeat after, yeah, repeat everything Mm. back and forth all the time. Um, And I think approaching it in that sense sort of extends the conversation and continues the dialogue rather than us all sort of like having to step it up layer by layer um, as we're going through these conversations. So it is one of the things that, yeah, I've been struggling with as well recently like my approach to social media um because like like I live and breathe like this approach like my you know mm. it like I read books about it I think about it, I I read it and like like I, I'm constantly learning about these things yeah. and like 95% of my own social media is probably like fat activists and and that kind of thing but and that is a really really big part of my life is what I'm trying to say mm. but it's not the only thing that I'm interested in. And it's, and even within the health space, like it's not the only thing that I wanted to be known for. Like, I think it's really boring when people, there's, there's so many dietitians out there that literally their whole brand is just that they're a dietitian. And it's like, well, cool. But like what distinguishes you from the person next to you? And I'd rather be able to have like my own independent voice so that people know that they can trust me and they can come to me and we can have these conversations Mm because it's very clear who I am. Um, And I actually think that makes a much more effective like client relationship because it gives them an idea of what to expect from you so that they know from the get-go as well. And especially with something like nutrition and dietetics, it's so personal and you want to be able to trust your practitioner and understand that they're not going to give you, especially if it's going to be a long-term issue, they're not going to give you really narrow advice Mm -hmm. and that they're able to take you on as a whole person and that's I think from the beginning of uni I remember our lecturers banging on about having to have a social media preference mm-hmm. presence sorry presence um if you're going into private practice and being able to engage on social media but what we're not taught is 
how to do that effectively and what social media can be used for in different ways. Like I feel like it was only seen as a marketing tool. It's only ever seen as a mm, as a tool to but promote it's yourself. Like no Yeah, and no one wants to follow someone that's just using it to sell things. Yeah. Um and I think the the one of the really exciting things, but it's also a big issue in this industry is that we're all kind of learning it as we're going. No one there's not really like any guide to no. navigating social media as a health healthcare clinician. Yeah. Um, exactly. which I think is a really sort of nice way of coming back around to the conversation that we were having at the beginning of this episode is that, like, we're all just trying to figure this shit out. We're all human. Um, and I think the best thing that we can be with our social media is transparent and authentic because that's going to give you a better relationship with your consumer, more trustworthy advice, and it, it allows the consumer to understand what you're selling, for lack of a better word, yeah. and the sort of you know, the service that you offer and it allows them to be, to learn and be educated in these conversations in a way that is understandable. um, So they can, again, make their own decisions around their own health. Agreed. It's a hard, hard life being a millennial health professional. Yeah. (laughs) No. It's so difficult. The other thing that we were going to touch on today was the the other side of it. So influencers <laughs> um, talking about their own personalised medical advice or their own, like the one that springs to mind is like Khloe Kardashian selling whatever yeah. weight loss shake she was, that that sort of thing. And I mean, there's again, that many people that have already spoken about this, but I think we just wanted to touch on this as well as a bit of a like, if you have been given medical advice, do not share it with anyone else because it is your advice. It's not for them. Um, and I guess just remind people that influencers aren't to be trusted I when it comes to to health. It's been particularly – it's been quite a sore spot for Liza and I recently because there's someone that we've both followed for a really long time that we loved their content um, and it wasn't – health rules very much lifestyle. and like respected their opinion as yeah, well but it's there's I think for the most part we're both quite out of that kind of like Kardashian-y world mm. where they're overtly selling you things like I think for us like the people who are selling us shit is like they wear jewelry and they sell it or they like I don't know go on holidays and they sell the hotel they're at they're not selling health related things and I'm kind of to be fair, in that yeah. bubble, I'm very much in that bubble, and I can I can tell when things are quite well. Yeah, it's more promotion, promotion. The yeah, and I yeah, and I guess the the things that we sort of like not necessarily buy into, but like to consume, are the things that would actually be realistic for us. In that, mm. like, there's a lot of interior stuff and like fashion and and beauty stuff that it's nice to have their opinion because they get sent thousands of mm. products and and have an opinion because they've been able to try and compare things yeah. um and I think what the difference is is that when people are talking about like externalized products mm. that's a really useful tool for us to be able to go oh that person's tried it I trust their opinion on this so maybe I'll make a decision when I'm looking for for example like a new shampoo that that person has similar hair to what I do maybe I'll trust their opinion and buy that when it comes to health advice, though, especially when people are 
sharing it as a part of their in the same way as they would share the shampoo that they're using mm. um that's when it becomes really damaging because they're kind of saying this is what i do and the dialogue is here's what i do you should do this as well and because dam- their consumer has built up a level of trust exactly and it's damaging because i think that the scary thing for me when i when i saw some of this content was that the people that are following this particular person, for example, they never came there for medical advice. They never came there to see any of that health stuff. Maybe to like occasionally see how exactly. they work out or what they do with their lifestyle. But now there's this whole new population of people who are going to be exposed to something that they didn't think they needed. And now they're going to think they need yeah. it. And that's the scary exactly. part for me is that it's not, Yeah, it, it's, it's, I think that that social media is like wildfire in that regard. Mm-hmm. And it, it really brings up for me, like the, I remember a few years ago on YouTube, a lot of people started doing the, like what I eat in a day <laughs> kind of style videos. Yeah. And there's a few different sort of circumstances of this where basically you can really tell who's been sort of like under the influence of diet culture, because there'll be someone who's just having like a raw vegan diet and no carbs mm. And then someone else who's having a, like a reasonable diet and they're talking about it more from a place of like, you know, being prepared for meals and, and cooking and yeah. like enjoying their food. And like it's much more focused on the actual aspects of food that are useful instead of like basically selling a product of diet culture. And, and it, you know, a lot of these people would be having like protein shakes and diet products that it's basically an ad. Yeah, exactly. Um And I think it's really, yeah, it's a really sort of murky water to navigate because these people do have a really trustworthy following. Like those people are looking to these people for advice. Mm. Um, And the risk is that when they see these people eating in a certain way or having, you know, supplements or whatever it is, that says to them that they can do that for themselves um, without consulting a health professional. And I think that's the one key that's missing is that these people will sort of like share what they're doing without saying consult a health professional. This is my personal advice for this issue. They're not, they're just, there's no transparency or there even if they, because they want to share, but it's also like a privacy thing. Even if they do say that they have seen someone, of course, go see your own health professional. I think that should be enough of a trigger to take that post down. Like I don't, if you're having mm-hmm. to put a disclaimer around seeing a health professional about your health, about your body and medicine, I don't think you should be posting yeah. that in the first place. Like the the connection yeah. there unless, is direct. Unless you're willing to share the full story. Yes, correct. Yes. Like, yeah. That's true. And not so everyone yeah. should have, like, if you don't feel comfortable doing that, you don't have to, but just don't put it up there in the first place. Like to me, that's the same as like, me going to my GP and getting a blood test and seeing that I'm like iron deficient, which has happened, and I have to take iron supplements. I'm like, I'm not going to share that with everyone because that's prescribed medical advice. Mm. I have just said that on a podcast. Exactly. But, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but you're not telling people, you're not just saying, oh, I take these supplements every day and this is a part of my normal routine. No. And here's my plate with no carbs. No, it. because it's, like, a, <laughs> it's a prescribed it's just, medical advice. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a difference between sharing your experience and the things that have worked for you in a very transparent, open way Mm. Um, and I guess just putting it there for people to make of what they will 
but like for the consumer to make a decision around. And I think this is something that comes up a lot with like mummy bloggers and parents in Mm. particular is that they'll be sharing like pregnancy experiences or birthing experiences and they present it in a way that doesn't empower, again, the consumer to make a decision around what's best for them. Mm. It just sort of says, here's what I did. My way is best. It worked well for me. So you can do the same. Um, So yeah, it's, it's a bit of a tricky one to navigate, but I think we can sort of, yeah, you get what we're saying. Don't post about your supplements on Instagram, Please. particularly if you have hundreds of thousands of followers. Please. Um, anyway, <laughs> should we um, be super hypocritical and talk about some of the things that we've been loving this week? I was just going to say, I reckon <laughs> if we wrap it up with that, then we're, we are good Um, So, as a disclaimer, all of the things that we're about to share are from our experience only and are just things that we're enjoying. They're not intended for personalised medical advice and we're not going to share medical advice full stop. So, make of it what you will. Um, (laughs) Good disclaimer. So, Bran, what's been in season for you this fortnight? Oh, gosh. Okay, so I... um, Finished the Tattooist of Auschwitz book. Mm. Loved it. It was great. And then my mentor told me that there's she's written a second one called um, Oh Chilka's or Silka's story or like yeah the second one. So I need to go read that now. But I've actually started um, another book that I randomly picked up called Animals by Emma Jane Unsworth. Um, Mm -hmm. I just started that yesterday, so no opinion so far. That's pretty nice. much the book that I've been reading. Um, have you been reading anything new? No. I have. I um, oh. I took my take, – took – taken t- my own <laughs> advice. I took <laughs> my <laughs> – I've taken my own advice and have bitten the bullet – bitten? Bit, I bit, bit the, the bullet? Fuck's sake, I can't talk. <laughs> 11 p.m. Basically, Australian I'm reading more than one book there. at a time. I know, but it's only – it's like midday – London time. Um, I've been reading <laughs> multiple books at once, and it's revolutionised my reading um, because good. it gives me a break when I when I don't want things. So I finished um, the Blind Assassin, which I mentioned in our last podcast. Which I when I went on to Good Goodreads and I'd like rated it, I was like having a read of reviews, and a lot of people had not finished it. Um, but it's one of those books that you oh. really need to finish in order to get the whole story because it does yeah. sort of like trudge on a bit in the middle, but. I loved it. It was really nice. Um, the sort of twist at the end, I just, yeah, I'm living for it. I loved it. Um, so would recommend if you have, like, it'd be a good, like, summer holiday read. Um, it's, a, it's quite a long book. Um, and the other thing that I read was David Sedaris's Calypso. And when I posted this on my Instagram story... You were like, oh, my God, best book ever. And I was like, I just gave this, like, I was almost going to give it two stars on Goodreads. I just thought um, it was, like, take away all the health-related stuff. He is just yeah. a great writer. Like, there is he so is. many He's good a really good writer. And I really enjoyed it. But the fat phobia ruined it for me. Like, I was literally, every time yeah. he mentioned something about health or weight, I was just like, for fuck's sake, like, why was is this comedian... That talking about his Fitbit to no end. Like I get that he he's yeah. doing it to justify things within the stories that he's telling, but it's just such a problematic message to be 
saying and like if you don't have the awareness that like I do that's a problem of these issues and you're kind of just like internalizing these as a normal part of life like like basically he walks miles and miles and miles a day and uses his Fitbit as a marker of his success which is if I remember I'm not correctly, here for that. did he did he mention that that he knows that's a problem? I feel like he did. Yeah, and he did, but yeah. he kind of like didn't really Rough talk over. about how he's doing anything to like address that, which I find really sad. Um, but overall, like it was a good read, but I just yeah, it, it was kind of disappointing for me. Um, at m- the moment, I'm reading um, Melinda Gates's. It's not really a biography. It's it's her book. Um, it's called The Moment of Lift. Um, and so this is Bill Gates' wife um, who they have a foundation where they basically – their goal is to empower women around the world um, by providing, you know, education and healthcare resources. And I'm sort of halfway through it. And the, the majority of it has been talking about sort of like family planning and contraception, which I have found really interesting because it sort of, it really drills into you, particularly as a health pr- practitioner, the importance of very fundamental healthcare um, mm. for people in poverty. And so I, I found it really um, insightful and really interesting to read. And also when I went onto Goodreads to like log that I was reading it, there's a review, like the first review is from Bill Gates and it's just like so <laughs> wholesome. It's like, <laughs> it's like, I so love this sweet. because it's my wife, but also it's a really great <laughs> book and he kind of like talks to it. It's yeah, it's fantastic. Um, oh, that's so it sweet. is a bit of a like, there's quite a lot of like heavy stuff in it and it's very much about like her involvement in a lot of this stuff, which kind of bugs me a little bit. Um, yeah. But in terms of like a book for a wide audience, I think it's fantastic. Um, yeah. And yeah, so that's what I've been reading. I've nice. had a bit of a book moment. It's been good. Um, have you been watching anything? Yeah, so on the flip side of that, I've put down the books and um, I binge watched Fleabag. Um, oh, yeah. Nice. So I finished season one a little while ago, but I rewatched it and then watched season two. And I'm really sad that there's no third season, but apparently. Phoebe Waller-Bridge has a new TV show coming out soon. So mm-hmm. I'm very ready for that. And I've also I'll been binge-watching The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel on mm-hmm. Amazon Prime. Uh, yeah, I'm loving that. I like, I've contemplated just listening to the soundtrack to that for the entire day just to make me feel like I'm Mrs. Maisel. And make me, <laughs> have you seen it? No, I'll put it on my list. So good. So, so good. Really well done. And then I found out that it's by, which is (laughs) mildly problematic, but also kind of fun to find out. It's by the same people that did did Gilmore Girls. Oh. So Amy Sherman Palladino and I think it's, is it Daniel Palladino? Could be wrong. Yeah. Um, But yeah, and I was like, oh, of course that's why I like it because I grew up on (laughs) Gilmore Girls, which watching that back was a bit of a, Let's just say it hasn't aged well, uh, <laughs> but yeah. Nice. Yes. Um, you? I've, oh my God. Okay. So haven't been watching much TV. I finished Sex Education. Agree with your thing from last week, what you said about it last <laughs> week. 
go back and listen to that if you want to hear about that. Um, But (laughs) I have been having a bit of a movie moment um, recently because I got a membership to the cinema that's like literally at the end of my street and it's... That's so cute. It's so lovely. (gasps) I love it. And it's like an old theatre that's been converted into a cinema. Um, And it's just really lovely. And they've got these fantastic vegan brownies, um, which is very hard to do because making brownies vegan is difficult. Yeah. Um, But the people who make them is actually, they're literally like around the corner from my work as well. And so like everything is sort of within like a one kilometre radius. It's it's so nice. Um, So I saw Queen and Slim um, which was incredible and such a, I don't think it's timely. I think it's like, it's, it's just a, a story that people need to hear. Um, and I loved it. It was so tense. It was so stressful and I cried a lot. And then, yeah, it was, it was just one of those films that will kind of like stick with you for a while. Um, so definitely recommend seeing that if anyone's looking for anything that's in cinema at the moment. Um, and I also finally got around to seeing Parasite, which again, I loved, you don't need to hear my review on it because there's thousands of others that are much more eloquent, but I really liked it. I really liked the way that it presented like the culture and the, the sort of like classist struggles and the, the family dynamics. And yeah, it was, yeah, great. Loved it. Um, but yeah, so that, that's sort of like what I've been up to, um, I'm hopefully going to be seeing The Lighthouse, which is Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe. Um, and it looks terrifying. So you may have oh a gosh. very anxious me next <laughs> next podcast um, after seeing that. Didn't but, yeah, so that's sort of what I've been – it looks – they're lighthouse keepers and it's in black and white and it looks very scary. Um, no, not for me. <laughs> but, yeah, I will hopefully be seeing that this week. Um what other categories? What food have you been... What has your mouth been consuming? Oh, God. <laughs> We're not bringing that back. That can stay in, <laughs> in early February 2020. Oh, God. Um, what have I been eating? I don't think I've had anything new that I've been eating, to be honest. I, um... Yeah. No. Nah, sorry. Nothing to nah, add to that. Nothing? No. Nah, nothing. Yeah. Oh, my stomach um, just made noises. Oh. I know. I'm actually so hungry because I've been thinking about... <laughs> okay. So, the day that we're recording this is a Monday. Um, yes. And well, I have, yeah. over the last probably month or so, been regularly making a loaf of bread over the weekend. So, my weekend is like Sunday, Monday, and I've been baking it on a Monday morning. So, I've got bread for the week. Um, and I'm just living for it. I love bread. And it's Amazing. so satisfying having something that you've made yourself. Um, my birthday is in a couple of weeks. And so I'm going to buy myself like a, a couple more bread making bits um, so that I can do it a little bit more efficiently. But oh, it's just so satisfying. And like if anyone saw my story from today, which it will definitely be gone by now, um, <laughs> I brought my loaf of bread in to work with me to have for lunch um and every time I do that Laura is like (gasps) bread (laughs) and so we we enjoy um sharing it and having having a nice slice of bread at lunch 
Um, so that's been my sort of like recent food thing. Um, if anyone lives in northeast London, like Hackney, Islington area, get your ass down to Jolene. Um, I went there for dinner the other night. It was amazing. We had like, they do like, it's a very seasonal menu. Um, and so the, it like changes daily. And we had like some really nice pasta and like a, a lamb shoulder thing with like a green sauce. And it was just, oh, so good. Yeah. Um, so if anyone wants like really, really good food in London and is definitely not vegan because I don't think anything on their menu would be vegan, um, get yourself down to Jolene. But yeah, I love it. Um, oh, I want to go. What other categories have we got? Um, things I've been listening to. Um, so I'm going through an intense Maggie Rogers phase at the moment. Only took me, oh, yeah. what, like six years. Um, again, on that train of, you know, brand is five years late to everything <laughs> popular. That's okay. As per usual. <laughs> but the other exciting thing that I actually haven't been listening to, but I'm going to eventually, is that me and my best mate got tickets to um, the Hella Mega Tour in Australia, which is Fallout Boy, Green Day and Weezer. Oh my and God. And I am so excited. <laughs> it's in November of this year. So um, a little while off. That would be amazing. It's actually, it's going to be a Hella Mega show. Like, I feel like it's Where three it? generations of alt rock. Uh, Marvel Stadium. Oh, Okay. That'll yeah. be so good. I've seen Weezer live before. Um, it's gonna be so which good. Which was amazing. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm jealous. Um, I'm so excited. Yeah. So yeah. I don't think I've really been listening to much. I've had a couple of podcasts. Um, I think I mentioned on our last episode that I was listening to the Daily. Um, mm-hmm. but I've since discovered that there is. Um, again, I posted about it this morning, but. Um, the like 7am podcast by Schwartz mm-hmm. Media which is basically this, the same thing but Australian um, it's very focused at the moment around like Australian politics but it's a really good um, like I guess daily recap of the news and current events and stuff that's just really nice to sort of um, yeah listen to on my way into work um <laughs> So, yeah, I've been loving that recently. Um, I've also... What else have I been listening to? Um, There's another podcast that I've just started listening to because I heard um, the creator of it talking on Emma Gannon's podcast. Um, It's called Sober Curious. It's basically about being curious about sobriety. Um, And basically in the same way although I haven't gotten that far into it, so I can't say it's completely like diet safe. Um, but I've basically been listening to that as a sort of educational thing, particularly for my use with clients. But it basically talks about like our relationship to alcohol and the way that we um, use alcohol within our lives. Um, and so that's been really interesting as well. And I really want to read her book. Um, so we'll link all of those in the show notes that you can have a bit of a listen if you like um Amazing. yeah I think it's just yeah it's just one of those things of like being more conscious of the way that we're living our lives and consuming things um in a way that's not judgmental it's not like I shouldn't be doing this because blah blah blah, blah. it's like does this make me feel good how is this serving me 
those sorts of things. So I've been really liking that as well. Um, mm. But yeah, did you have any other life updates that you'd like to share, Bran? Um, yeah, well, I guess one last thing before I head to bed. Lol, it's almost 11pm. <laughs> um, I started my new role today at, at work <laughs> in my new project, which... Um, Oh, like, yeah, I started to get really apprehensive about how much I've taken on board, like, <laughs> the last three mm. weeks. It was, like, sitting there on Sunday night, like, what have I done? I'm going to have no free time. <laughs> um, but as, as soon as I got into the training session and everyone was really friendly and lovely and it's like, I don't know if it's because I've been at the kids for a little bit now as well, um, but... I pretty much spent most of today laughing and doing team bonding activities that weren't that lame. And I just, yeah, it was one of those soul filling days where I was like, it's been super busy and a super stressful time, but really, really glad I've taken this project on board. And even yeah. if it's not exactly what I thought I would do, the people that are there are just sick with a cue. So um, very, <laughs> very happy to have done that. Um, so, yeah, that's probably, like, my major Aww. life update. So um, exciting. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit out of my comfort zone, but good. But that's yeah. pretty much it. Yeah. Oh, that's so exciting. I'm happy for you. Thanks. You've got, like, you know, all the wheels in motion. Look, come back to me in, like, two weeks and I might just be in the fetal position in the corner. But, you know what? Yeah. That's life. <laughs> we'll figure it out. <laughs> The one exciting thing that's happening in my life, literally, as of today, is that we might be getting a foster cat, um, which we, because basically, um, I don't know if I really spoke much about it in our last episode, but I had to leave my cats in Melbourne with Harrison, um, and we're hopefully going to move them over eventually if he decides to move over, um, and we'll be staying here a bit long, like longer term, um, but I basically just need that like void of cat cuddles to be filled um and so I signed up for like a fostering service where you volunteer as a as a foster um and immediately got a call being like can you take this cat (laughs) and I was like oh okay yes yes, I will um so I need to like after this I'm going to sort that out so maybe next fortnight I may have another little furry friend living in my house um actually for a undetermined amount of time that's another exciting thing that happened not to me but to someone at work um she got a cat, a kitten, and I want to share it with everyone um, because she's a British short hair and you should go follow her. And her name is Pretzel. And the Instagram. Oh my God, I love that. <laughs> the Instagram handle is pretzel underscore of underscore Glenroy. Um, and she's a white <laughs> British short hair. Apparently, she's settling in so well. And this Aww. is not my cat. So this is really creepy to. Anyone who's <laughs> listening, but hey, Rach, if you're listening, I hope your, I hope your cat gets lots of follows on Instagram because she is so cute. We'll definitely, um, we can like share her yes. in our story and stuff. Hundred percent. So, oh, so exciting! I love animals. <laughs> um, but yeah. Anyway, we should probably start wrapping up because Brand needs to go to I sleep. Do. Um, and we're trying to keep our episodes a little shorter. So, thanks for hanging around and listening listening to our rambles if you're still listening right now um 
Hey, Brent, where can people find us if they want more of oh, us? In the show notes. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, they, you can find Liza and I respectively at, at Liza Kins for most things, for everything, and at mm-hmm. a rebranded life yeah. for everything. Um, as of today, if you're in Melbourne and you want to book a dietitian appointment, this is not a conflict of interest, I promise, but I've started practicing at the wellness workshop. <laughs> um, so if you're in the southeast, come find me there. Um, we're doing everything from like super medical stuff to just like general nutrition chats, if that's what you're up for. So hit me up. Love to have a chat. Um, yeah. Also seeing as we're shamelessly plugging, if you want to work with yes. me um, in London or via Zoom on your intuitive eating and relationship with food. You can book a free 15-minute call and we can have a chat by the link in my bio. Oh, my God. So I can also put that in the show notes as well. Are we adults Um, now? I am. Is this a... Yeah, I know. I'm pretty busy at the moment, but I am taking on new clients if anyone needs a hand with their relationship with food. Um, And also, LCI have a lot of great resources for clinicians. If anyone's looking for, like, training and bits and pieces, and there is a new cycle of our CPD course which gives you the foundations to intuitive eating starting in March. So Do this it. should be going up just as it's sort of starting. Mm. Um, but yeah, if anyone's looking for sort of like reasonably affordable resources to get their intuitive eating going, um, yeah, head to the LCIE website. Nice. But we will leave it there and stop filling your ears with advertising. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> Hit us up on Instagram or you can email us or shoot us a message through our website if you have any feedback or thoughts or comments. Um, But yeah, we're super grateful to have this platform as a way of continuing conversations and sharing our thoughts with everyone. So we will catch you in the next one. Bye. Bye. Hey pals, it's Eliza here. I'm just um, popping on as I'm posting this, just to let you know that um, I've just set up a discount code for all of the LCIE um, courses and bundles on the resources. So that's our Just Eat It course, which is an intuitive eating fundamentals. We've got a Raising Intuitives raising intuitive eaters course for parents looking to raise their kids to be intuitive eaters. And then we've also got a CPD training course for clinicians, which if you're listening to this the day that this will be going live It should be starting tomorrow, so March 1st. And we've also got the bundles of the weight inclusive guides, which are a bunch of resources for clinicians to use with their clients. So if you're interested in any of those things, head to the London Centre for Intuitive Eating website, which I've linked in the description and use the code PANTRYPARTY for £50 off. So that's about $100 Australian dollars, which is a pretty good bargain, if you ask me, at checkout. Um, And yeah, enjoy. Bye.